Hello and welcome, dear travelers, to another episode of the Worldcraft Club podcast, a podcast devoted to helping you develop world-building skills that will make you create immersive worlds that will draw your players or audience in time and time again. And today, we've got a real special one devoted to our TTRPG players and game masters out there. We're going to be talking about how to retain player engagement and excitement, which is a huge part of world building, right? You're creating immersive settings that inspire wonder and cause your players to want to live there all the time. That's what we're going to talk about today. I have with me here, Seth. How are you doing, Seth? I'm doing great. Oh, yeah? I'm really excited for this episode, not because of, or not just only because of the content, but also because we're doing something a little bit new. Yeah. So we are recording this in person, which is a first. It is a first. Oh, Every- no, it's not a first. Oh, wait, no, it's got to be a first. No, I recorded... You did one with Marcus. I recorded one episode with Marcus. I feel like you cheated on me. I did. Oh. I mean... Anyway, I'm James. <laughs> me, me is James. Uh, so, yeah, I... Uh, we're uh it's it's unique it's unique it for is. us it, it's we we haven't really sat down before with with a pair of mics and so we got some nifty new audio hardware that we got a kind of a courtesy really of our of our patrons and those mm-hmm. who support us we're really Absolutely. grateful for that and so we've been able to kind of up our game a little bit and actually get in-person recordings together so th- for the first time in almost two years yeah. i mean this podcast is almost two years old yeah coming up in yeah. in uh, i guess august yeah will be about two years old and yeah. This is the first time we've really done an in-person recording. The only reason we did one prior was because we were one mic short. Yeah. And yeah. so we were both using the same microphone. Yeah. So this is the first time we've done this in sort of the professional sense. And I'm really excited to see how it turns out. So I specifically want everybody who's listening to comment or send us a message and let us know how you feel about it. Yeah. Is it an improvement? Is it not an improvement? Were we so good already that you couldn't even tell? You couldn't discern just the change. We just nailed it every time. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. We'd love to hear that. And while you're at it, write us a review on uh, on iTunes. Yeah, We'd really appreciate that. that. Uh, only if you love it, though. If you don't love it, just email me and, and talk about why yes. you don't love it. Save, save your save your uh, save your rants for email to me. Uh, if you want to give us five stars, though, go ahead and do it on iTunes or any other podcatcher that you have. That actually is enormously helpful. It's what it gets you on the new and noteworthy and things like that, and puts you kind of up in the ranks and lets people see what you're doing. Um, so we'd love for you to do that if you get a chance to, but we should, we should dive in. We, we should. should this let's, is such an in. exciting topic. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an exciting topic. It's literally, it's in the name. It's how, it to, how to keep your players excited, which is, which is vital. And, and it's a huge element of world building because like what you want really from your players is them to think about the game when they're not in the game. I think one, of the, right. one of the biggest compliments you can get as a, as a game master or, or just a world builder in general is to have somebody come up and like, ask you a question about how something works it shows that they've been thinking about it when they're not directly in front of you and socially obligated to pay attention to what you're telling them like they're doing it in their free time they're giving you you know a little bit of their brain space that's always really encouraging but it can be kind of a challenge to retain that energy it can absolutely be a challenge and there's also a sort of practical element to this, where if you can't engage somebody's attention, if you can't draw them back into the world, if you can't make the world a place that they want to visit over and over again, Hmm. then whatever you're doing is going to stop. 
right? So your yeah. game's going to stop, yeah. or if you're writing books, books aren't going to sell. What makes a world really valuable, so to speak, is how often people want to engage with it. Right. Yeah, this, this is kind of one of those things that I was grappling with during the uh, Building Your Story Worlds episode a little ways back where we, we were talking about like, in essence, how marketable your world is. Like this is the, um, this is really the selling point of investing in your world building is, is repeat, repeat viewers. It's basically bringing right. people back with interest. It's the reason like good, good world building and uh, yeah, a pile of other things too, but good world building is why people buy the next Harry Potter book to some degree. You know, right. um, the, the story is, I, I would say the most important, but world building is uh, is a critical element to drawing so, people back. So in. I wouldn't necessarily agree with you. Mm. I would say that world building is potentially more important than story, and maybe we than should the do it narrative. Yeah, than the actual narrative, and maybe we should do an episode on this because I know I have plugged before that if you're going to build a world, only keep what's necessary for the narrative, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that sort of suggests that the narrative is sort of the most important part. Yeah. But what I want to what I want to explore today is the idea that that's not true, that the world itself has to actually be so engaging that somebody would want to experience it, even if you were telling a different story. Yeah. And that the goal of good world building is to make somebody ask questions outside of the scope of the story. Hmm. You don't have to answer those questions. Yeah. I'm not telling you to answer those questions. Yeah. Right. As the author or as the GM, keep what's necessary for your narrative. Yeah. But if you can get a player or a reader to ask the question, well, how does that work? Yeah. Or what about this? Mm. Or what's over there? All of a sudden, you have a repeat customer. Yeah. Right? And repeat customers, not just in the sense of somebody who will buy your product, because not a lot of us engage with writing and with uh, TTRPGs because we love them and because they're fun. Mm. There doesn't necessarily have to be a monetary component here, right? What we want, though, is we want somebody who will not just say, I'm really excited for the game this week, but will tell their friends, oh, this is what happened in yeah. the world. Yeah. This is the experience I had, and it was so good. This yeah. is what I thought when I was reading this book. You should engage with this, too. You should play a TTRPG. Yeah, yeah. You should read the book. Hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's that, it's that ability to like have your players consider, like, I, I think one of the biggest things for me in RPGs is, is, is character creation. I've invested countless hours creating characters that I never played. Right. And a, a lot of it was that I was really excited one about the mechanics of the game, right? Like I wanted to build sure. something that was mechanically interesting. And so I was always trying to piece together weird stuff. And the other part of it was that I, I wanted these different people to fit in the world. I wanted a character who was associated with, you know, this faction or um, had this kind of history or had, you know, d done this kind of this, this kind of thing in their past that's referenced in a lot of the kind of um, secondary world building that takes place throughout the story. And that's really what you want to get 
with your players. You want them to be in a place where they are kind of dreaming about, about the world and trying to come up with more things they want to do, more characters they want to make. They're not just driven in for the story. They're actually coming back because they, they kind of want to, they want to see the rest and um, I, I like that you pointed out, Seth, earlier that you don't necessarily have to have an answer, right? Like, right. I, I think world building uh, is is largely a, a process of not having answers or, or for that matter, uh, like creating good questions is mm-hmm. really more the role of a world builder in some ways. And I think that's a key thing is yeah. I, I think a lot of people, when they're building worlds, they assume that player fun is directly proportional to effort invested in world building. And that if you simply had a bigger Wikipedia page, if you had a deeper lore, if you had more mysteries, if you had more, 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 your players would be invested. But honestly, that level of depth can be intimidating Mm -hmm. and it can throw players off at times. Not to say that we're anti-depth. Like, by all means, go for it. The problem is when you can't always confer that on people. And the other part is that sometimes your players just have better ideas than you do. And if you don't have the lore prepared, you don't have anything to have an ego about when they come right. up with a better idea. If you've got a bit of blank space. Yeah. Well, like I think minimalism is critical for world building. Like it's, it's you, you leave agency to your players to imagine what's coming next and don't indulge them. Don't tell them. Yeah. So, so you mentioned something right yeah. there that I think is probably the most critical piece. And it is the biggest mistake, in my opinion, that world builders make. Hmm. And specifically, the biggest mistake that GMs make. Yeah, I am absolutely, as a GM, uh, culpable. I have made this mistake a, a thousand times. And the games where I made this mistake ended hmm. before I was ready for them to end. Yeah. And often yeah. as a player, when I see the GM making this mistake, yeah. our games end before we would have necessarily liked them to end. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that is player agency. Hmm. So one of the things about TTRPGs specifically, yeah. but books as well. I was actually just talking to a fellow author about this, about uh, with a draft that they had given me to read. Yeah. Um, but TTRPGs specifically, a player who is coming to sit down at the table is coming to sit down at the table to do something. They mm. are not coming to sit down to the table to hear someone talk about something. Yeah. Right? The point of a TTRPG is that you can roll dice. Yeah. Or whatever your mechanic is, right? If it's flipping cards, if it's, uh, you know, even if it's a narrative system being able to make a declaration. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The player who's sitting down is there to play. Yeah. And so often as world builders and as GMs, we have this grand story in our head that we want to tell and and we can do that. There are ways to do that. But the problem is that we often supplant player agency by declaring what it is, what the world is, what the characters are doing by cutscening. Yeah. Where we could give the players agency to decide the fate of the kingdom, we insert a cutscene with the king and the uh, the evil warlord. Yeah. Right? Where we could uh, we could give the players agency to fail 
yeah. this is super important. Yeah, the player's yeah, yeah. agency to fail fighting against the giant wizard or the, the evil warlock who has kidnapped the princess that they're trying to rescue. Yeah. And if they succeed, great. Yeah. Adjust the story and move on, right? And this, what this comes down to is a question of do the players serve the narrative or does the narrative serve the players? All right, I think you actually touched on something really critical there because I, I think one thing that we often fail to recognize is that the players are creating a little world inside their own heads as well. And, and, and whenever we're coming in as GMs, uh, we th there, there's a sense, and I, I've complained about this before uh, with players, but it's like they come and they're just like, hey, GM, bring the fun. <laughs> like, and, yeah. you know, some players can come in like that and be a bit of passive observers, but you, you want players to engage. And if they're going to engage, they need to share the world. And if they're sharing the world, it means they have a vision. And if they have a vision, it means you need to make room for it. And I think that's really one of the most challenging things that a GM has. It's, it's the amount of times I see these complaints on forums where they say, well, write a novel, you know, and like it's that, that is actually a very apt criticism. You're kind mm -hmm. of engaging in sort of an improvisational theater with a loose set of rules in order to make it a game and to make it fair and to have some way to resolve conflicts where the solution is in doubt. Um, and, and these are the things that make a TTRPG fun. Right. They're not just turning up to hear you tell them a story. Right. So like it, it, it's how to convey a rich world that is that has a sense of immersion in it. And in, in order to be immersed, you need to feel that there is some consistency to it. Uh, verisimilitude is often the term believability, essentially, yeah. like it kind of it checks out. And uh, one of the things Seth and I are big proponents of and, and we mentioned this earlier on, but it's it's, it's like uh, that, that whole idea of creating a theme. Uh, to walk through. But a, right. another way of doing this is to kind of start your adventures like a little bit narrative heavy and then kind of let let your hand off the let, let your foot off the gas a little bit as you go and let your players begin to like take charge. So, you know, uh, you, you enter the space station for the first time, like go for all five senses. Let them know what's around them. You know, is it crowded? Is it sweaty in there? Is it hot? Like, are the air recyclers humming? Do you smell that kind of burnt plastic smell of a freshly replaced air recycler? Is it, um, do you smell Chinese food? You know, are people bumping up against you? Are people polite? You know, like all these little details that you can kind of throw in. And I, I would encourage you to write, write a set piece, you know, write like a little mm -hmm. blurb. Don't make it very long. Keep it, keep it about a paragraph. Don't, don't, go nuts here, but, um, to give people a sense of where they are and what they're doing. And then the next time, like as the game progresses, let your players have more of the reins of it. If they want to go ahead and invent a restaurant for them to meet at, like, why not? You know, let them have it. If it's a real sore point for you and you, you kind of don't want them to touch that part of your world for some reason, you know, like you just have a, you have a thing and you kind of really want to hold on to it. It's understandable. Uh, maybe, maybe try to compromise a bit, you know, give them, give them a little bit of space to do it. Maybe that type of restaurant doesn't exist, but uh, something close to it does. A good approximation does. And you can kind of like run there if for whatever reason you really needed Mexican food in your setting, you know, like, but I think that's a really practical suggestion mm. and, and I love that yeah. because, because too often we, we talk about how to, how to create interesting worlds yeah. with just, this is an interesting thing, an interesting fact, an interesting tidbit, yeah. right? But what you just laid out there is a really practical suggestion for 
how do I create an interesting world? Well, I let my players create it. Yeah. Right? I set the stage and I allow the creativity of the players and my own creativity as well to all contribute into something that probably doesn't look like the vision I had for it when I first sat down. And that's a really important understanding is that this is a collaborative thing. Yeah, yeah. You are you are sitting down as a GM not to tell a story, right? Mm. That would just be story time. Yeah. This is a collaborative effort between players and the GM, right? Mm. And if you really have to squeeze your space luchador bad guy into the setting, <laughs> then maybe you insist on the Mexican restaurant. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. But you you allow the players the agency yeah. to create the world as they go. Yeah. Now, this leads us to a question. And you, you touched on it very briefly there. Sure. But how do you deal, practically speaking, with players who don't want to invest? Because we've all sat down at the table and had that session zero and had our first session and we and experienced players who don't engage mm. with the world. So I've, I've got a couple of things. I've got a couple of things for that. Like to draw players in, uh, one, when players are making their characters, they'll, they'll probably ask you some questions about the character that they're making. Uh, take note what they're asking and what they're thinking about. And uh, one great way to do this is to just hand players stuff sometimes. So like a really good example was, um, and, and this one I didn't do very well. So this is kind of a, a, a GM fail, but like I think I, I learned this from it. I had a player in a game uh, that I was working through who had a, um, who had a background in xenology. It was like she, she was somebody who studied aliens. And I didn't have many aliens established uh, prominently in the early stages of the campaign. So I readjusted my campaign and found ways to fit aliens into it. That's, that's the good part. What happened though is as while they were en route to a place, I had some ideas about things she could find while she was there. And I made the cardinal mistake of, of letting her roll for some important world building information instead of just giving her the important world building information and letting her character's background be for it. Cause it was, it was traveler. She rolled snake eyes. Like when you roll really low in traveler, like I can't, I, I, I felt like I couldn't give her a lot of information because she just rolled the literal worst role you can have in the game. Mm -hmm. Um, and I intend on fixing that as I go. Cause I also don't want to be the type of referee who says, you know, roll this and then makes it inconsequential. So like I was trying, I kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. What I should have done is just avoided the role altogether right. and given her the bit of information that I needed to give her. So that brings up something really interesting, which yeah. is that sometimes when it comes to world building, yeah, the rules are not as helpful as we would like. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just a reality that we have to grapple with. Yeah. But I do really love the idea practically of giving people the option of contributing to the world specifically. Yeah. Right. So a way that you could handle that situation is saying, hey, there are some alien artifacts that are uh, going to show up. Yeah. Your homework for the next session is to design me an alien artifact. I'm going to tell you what it does. Like I'm going yeah. to tell you how it interacts with the world. I'm going to decide the rules for it. All I need is a rough 
back of the napkin sketch. Yeah. Right? I want you to come up with the item. I'm going to decide what happens with it, or we'll decide together as the game progresses. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Walking into a bar. Mm. Hey, player one, what is the bartender wearing? Yeah. Hey, player three, is it busy? Yeah. As much as it would be very easy for a GM to just tell the players yeah. what's going on in the bar, if you specifically ask them, they are immediately invested. Yeah. Because they're the ones who are telling the story. Yeah, and it also pays because a lot of times it, it, the goal really with any RPG, and I, like I'm really I'm really hot on this because of all of the like I, I used to I used to do a lot of work in, in theater. And one of the things that we always had with acting coaches is they'd always tell me the same thing is you need to take risks. You mm-hmm. need to be ready to take risks. Your players need to be ready to take risks, which means right. they need to feel like you're going to back them up. Like you're not going to leave Absolutely. them hanging. And so when a player says something, you, you like, I think it's good to generally just build that rapport and let the player roll with it. Cause there have been times where I've designed, I've designed an NPC. I have an idea how they're going to behave. And then my player came in and acted in a way that made it what would have made the thing extremely confrontational in that moment had right. I played the NPC as is. Instead, I kind of recrafted them from like a very like surly sort of back alley like drug dealery type into more of a Hugh Grant falling over themselves apologizing sort of character because that fit better with what my player came in with. My player took a risk. He came in there and went, all right, I know your tricks. Don't even try to da 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 and just like hammered him. And right. I was like, perfect. You know, I'm just going to roll with it and I'm going to do this. And that enabled the player to feel confident that I was not going to leave them hanging and say, no, right. this NPC is not like that. You're going to get shot. You know, which is like what a lot of DMs want to do because they're, they're stepping on your toes. You know, they're telling you how your world is made and you're, right. and you, you kind of want to resist it, especially if you had some other role in mind for them. But right it's real easy to switch this stuff up on the fly. And, and, and just on this note, like the way I like to do my games is I set off at the beginning with a really like strong sort of introductory setting explanation. And, and as the game goes on and they get more of a grip on, on the world and more of a grip on the kind of story that I'm telling, I let them run with it. And then by the end of the session, my players have made an absolutely massive, massive everything I wanted to do. So I sit down and I take notes right after the session is done and I, I highlight things the players were interested in. Oh, this guy wants a much bigger gun. He's unhappy with you know how this thing worked or this, this player is really excited to use their piloting skill and they kept trying to use it in the game in places it didn't fit. Okay, I need to give them a ship to fly. You, know, mm-hmm. you, you come up with all of these things and your game will mold itself into a game that's interesting for your players and it will give you time to adjust your story to kind of match what your players are into to say, okay, there weren't going to be aliens until way later on, but I have this xenologist in the party. So I need to start foreshadowing and dropping breadcrumbs now. So their skill sets become useful. Right. And that's another thing. Give your players an opportunity to shine, man. Like absolutely. There is nothing, nothing more boring than building a cool character, sitting down at a session and realizing that all of the skills that you took, as cool as they are on paper, are absolutely worthless. Yeah, yeah. I have legitimately just quit games because there was nothing for me to do. Yeah. And I knew that the GM wasn't going to adjust. 
And I've had players who have quit games and I've had to go to them and say, hey, why aren't you showing up anymore? And they say, well, everything and everybody else in the party is covering everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's literally no point in my character being here and I'm just not having fun. Yeah. Right? And yeah. and that's something that as a GM, I have to adjust. That's yeah. not my player's problem. That's my problem. Yeah. You right? got to find a home for them to fit into it. And like a lot of this as well is like kind of communication in the early stages, session zero. We talk about how world building is a lot about setting expectations, setting boundaries and establishing yeah. a theme. Like these are like some of the key things. I, I, I recommend throwing artwork at your players as well, saying the world sort of feels and looks like this. Maybe yeah. even some like music if you can select it. I, I'd highly recommend just jumping on art station or uh, deviant art and just type in the kind of thing you're looking for, grab some art and just throw it and throw it at them over discord or something. And that's actually another thing that you can ask your players for. Mm. Hey, what's your player's soundtrack? Oh yeah. That's right. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. just give me one song mm. that sort of typifies the cinematic scene that your player stars in. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Because the more you can get your players thinking creatively about the world, the more fun they're going to have, the more they're going to be plugged into it. Yeah. Right. The more fun you're going to have as a GM. Now, a caveat. If you are trying to do something very specific, sometimes you sort of need to just say, all right, everybody, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is the thing I want to have. This is the reveal I want to have. Yeah. But as an author and as a longtime game master, I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that the level of satisfaction you get from achieving your objective will never compare to the level of satisfaction you're going to feel when the players achieve their objective. When yeah. you see the look of excitement on their face, when they manage to put the story together. Yeah. Right? It's one thing for you to have a big reveal, but if your players aren't invested, it's going to fall flat regardless of how well you do it. And, and this is kind of one of those things as well where like your players, if your players are speculating about your world, if they're trying to come up ideas, if they're, if they are basically forming conspiracy theories about yeah, your world, absolutely. like let them be right. <laughs> just let them be right. Like it's just, it, or almost right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, almost right's even better than right. Like something close to that. Like if your players solve your mystery and they put together that the butler did it and the butler didn't do it. Got news for you. The butler, the butler did, did, it. did it. Like that's how you got to play that out because it's like that is literal gold. Yeah, yeah. And and the the truth is is that like if your players are invested to the point where they are like actively and engagedly pursuing something you're laying out in front of them, it doesn't matter what your vision was to right. some degree. Like it's I, I understand like you're you're playing too. Like everybody really is a player at the table, the GM included. Right. But it's um. That, that, that amount of interaction you have with your players, it, it's, you, you got to work with them. You got to work with them. There's got to be a little bit of give and take. And this is why like with world building, especially when you cannot force attenuation the way that you can in a novel where you can take your visitant and say, there is a cat with markings that look like spectacles. Could it be Professor McGonagall? Like you can't do that. You, they're going to chase the cat because that's what they do. <laughs> but it's like, the point is like, you, you can't make them look. 
And because you can't make right. them look, you have to sort of take where they're looking and let that be where they were supposed to look, <laughs> like, essentially, yeah. all along. So that's actually how, if any of my players are listening, stop, stop. listening. <laughs> no, that is how I run games. Yeah, yeah. Right? You pick, you pick the five story beats yeah. that are important. Yeah. And you say, it doesn't matter how they get from one place to the next. We have these five story beats and I'm going to hit them regardless, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is the ultimate rails. It is, here is a completely open world and no yeah. matter what direction you go, you will end up at the barbers. And and the thing about that though, is that like where, th there's kind of this thing where the question about, you know, rails or open world and things like that. And what Seth's kind of uh, presenting here is sort of a false choice. Correct. Right. But... It kind of isn't as well, right? Because your players sure. are engaged in that. And though you have the story beat, the, the thing might change. So a really good way to look at this is adaptations of novels, right? Mm -hmm. So um, everyone should watch The Expanse. <laughs> and there's, I'm reading through the books and the TV show is, is every bit as good. And in some ways, by some metrics, a little bit better. Now, what they've done in the, in the TV series is there's a character named Drummer. Drummer does not become important at all in any of the books until book seven that takes place 20 years after book six, right? right? So to give you an idea, like she is just not involved, right? So what they did was they originally brought this lady in, uh, I believe her name is, I, I, I want to say, I want to say Gina Carrera. I, I, it could be wrong. That could be um, some somebody else. I, I might be confusing her with Tina Carrera, the star of Wayne's World. Uh, but uh, Gina is the in The Mandalorian or was in oh, The Mandalorian. That's the one. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, see if you, see if you can find it, Seth. You're going to be our Jamie for now. So anyway, the uh, the lady that plays drummer was originally brought in to play this character. So another character could kind of talk to her. Basically, they, they couldn't just have the character doing a monologue. He needed someone to talk to. So what happened was he he, he would deliver these lines talking to her. Kara yeah. G. Kara G. Okay. G-E-E. -E. I mixed up a lot of consonants and vowels in there, but like, I feel like the soup was about right. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so Kara G, right? So they bring her in, and um, she played her part so well, right, in this early season where her character shouldn't have really had a role. They kind of snuck her in from another one that they just kind of kept giving her jobs to do. And you notice that she's actually, by now, in the series she's in, an amalgam of like five or six different characters mm -hmm. because what they kept doing is going, you know what? She can do that. Right. And so they kept putting her in that role. And this is, the, this is the perspective we need to have as a GM. You have the novel in your head. You've got the novel, but you're not making a novel. You're making a TV adaptation, which right. means sometimes you're going to get an actor or an NPC that the players love yeah. who you might want to turn into the BBEG because that fits the new story you're telling better for this iteration of it. Right. So even though, Seth, you're saying you're offering a false choice, in some ways you are. In some ways, you're not. In some ways, you're kind of following the story beats from the book, but you're giving your players the agency to decide how many roles Kara G can play. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? Like, and I think that's really effective. It is super effective. And it it just ties it ties the importance of the world to the players. Yeah. Because one of the worst things that a player can feel is that it doesn't matter if that character is in the world or not. Yeah. Right. And this is where agency comes in. Yeah. So one of the, one of the most dangerous things an author can do 
is have a story happen to someone oh, as opposed yeah. to that happened because the plot needed it to right, happen. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's really important when you're creating a story, whether you're doing it as an author, whether you're doing it as someone who's uh, playing a TCRPG, whether you're doing it as a game master, it's really important that the players are important yeah. Right? Yeah. That the characters they have to be critical. are critical. Yeah. And this is where that agency comes in. Yeah. Right. I know we keep hammering this, but if you if you take away player agency, you kill interest in the world. Yeah. Because there's no reason to be interested. Yeah. If they're just passively experiencing what's happening, if they have no choice. Yeah then what's the point? And like we're start, we're starting to approach time now and I think this is a good this is a good way to close this. And I, I essentially like the summary is this. Start strong. Establish early on what the what the key boundaries are and the expectations your players should have. A good way to do this is artwork and uh, and kind of music, all these kinds of different things you can throw in there. A couple of like stylized paragraphs early in your session. Start, you know, basically give your players something to work with and then kind of let them write it out for the rest of it. The next key stroke is agency. Apply this as early as possible. Let your players get involved in the world you're making, which means they have to trust you to take risks, which means you've got you to gotta indulge them a little bit and give them a little bit of room, enough rope to hang themselves with. And the last one is you're not writing a novel. You're making a TV adaptation of the novel you're making. So you need to find out how many roles Kara G needs to play. If you have an NPC that turns up and just strikes the player's imagination and you didn't mind, you didn't want to use them a lot, you're going to have to go ahead and use them. If they really, really like the idea that you created a Mexican Chinese infusion uh, of, of food, then like, yeah. Space I mean, luchadors it is. Yeah, space <laughs> luchadors it is. You know, like, let let them have that free reign to do that. And, and that's the sort of flexibility you need. You need to figure out what works for this current adaptation of the story you have in mind. And with that, I think we're about done here, man. Yeah. This has been super fun. Yeah. It's a great discussion. I would love to hear, on top of uh, how people feel about the recording. Yeah. What do you think about this? Yeah. I'd really love I'd lo really love to get some of your suggestions on how you can improve player agency, yeah. how you can keep your uh, players interested. Yeah, and how you've run a TV adaptation of your novel before, like how that fits, yeah. you know, how you change that. And the best place to do that would be through our Discord channel, which will actually be linked in the show notes. So if you want to dive in, come on, join us, consider yourself invited. We'd love to chat with you. We are talking a lot of things, world building, a lot of TTRPG lately. A lot of folks are designing systems in our, in our, uh, yeah, Discord. it's been really cool seeing different rule sets come to life and uh, seeing different people talking about the world and how the rule sets interact with the world. It's a really fun group. Yeah. So we'd love for you to join us. We're just a little family right now. There's just a couple of us on there and we're, we're honestly just having a blast growing every day. So jump in if you want to get in on the ground floor and just start sharing with us some of your ideas and uh, tell us how much you, uh, you, you, you love the show. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, don't forget to review us on iTunes on or iTunes, any other podcatcher app that you have. If you want to give us five stars. If not, just yell at us in person. like Or you know, on the or, Discord. Yeah, or, yeah. Come just complain on the Discord. We'll fix the, the show, <laughs> and then you can review us five stars later. Yeah, perfect. How's that work? Yeah, it's a good deal. <laughs>
Thank you for joining us on the Worldcraft Club podcast. Be sure to come and find us on Facebook, Instagram, or on our Discord server linked below. If you love what you hear, please give us a five-star rating on the podcatcher of your choice. And finally, we want to say a thank you to our amazing patrons who support us on Patreon. If you want to chip in and help us produce more content, please head down and find us at patreon.com forward slash worldcraftclub to get extra episodes and content for as little as $2 a month. Again, this has been the Worldcraft Club, and we're so glad you gave us a listen. Until next time.